Yeah, doing another inside episode here on my phone, but this time I'm doing it because uh, the power is going on and off, and I don't want to risk nature disrupting my show. How dare nature disrupt my show? I don't want to have that happen, so I'm not using my actual recording equipment. Uh, yeah, and it's, uh, The funny thing about the power going on and off is... I'm totally cool with the idea of the power just going out for, let's say, hours. Days starts to wear on me. You know, I'm a modern man. I don't, I don't love not having power for more than 24 hours. But as far as just a, a chunk of time, a day, you know, I don't mind it. But the difficult thing is when it goes on and off repeatedly. And I still have a couple of plug-in alarm clocks, you know, the oven clock. It's funny how time becomes such a disturbance when you lose power. Having to reset these clocks again and again, it's, it's almost, you know, it's neurotic. But I can't seem, like, I can't get over it. Because I had a thought earlier where I reset the clocks and I was like, well, if the power is going to go on and off repeatedly today, you know, we're having a windstorm, should I even bother resetting the clocks? But just seeing them flashing, just seeing the clocks flashing with their incorrect time, knowing that they've been reset, disturbs me. It disturbs me, no matter what. You know, I had a good meditation this morning. You know, I feel not entirely obsessed with time. Although I, I don't think, I mean, that's not saying much, given how obsessed with time I am. So the fact that I'm slightly less obsessed with time than I could be isn't really giving myself that much credit. Um, but uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I, I, I just couldn't let the clocks sit there flashing without correcting them. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, it is one of those things where, you know, it's just the God's ways of messing with you. When the power goes out, it's just the God's messing with you. The gods messing with you. The gods are messing with you. I feel like if the gods are going to mess with you, they have much more profound and, for that matter, subtle ways of doing it than making your power go out. You know, it's like if you think that that's the gods messing with you, well, you better get on your toes now and prepare. Because the gods have far more subtle and profound ways of messing with you than just let's just make sure the humans don't have electricity today that was almost a homer simpson voice almost a homer voice not that i do it intentionally but uh <laughs> but yeah it is one of those things where it's like uh you know for me, it's, it's fine with me if the power goes out for an indefinite chunk of time, but it's this flashing on and off just enough to unsettle you. And it is unsettling. No matter how comfortable I am with some sort of rustic fantasy of candlelight and pen and paper and books, uh, you know, no matter how comfortable I am with that once I've settled in, you know, I, I like having power. I do. But I don't take it for granted because I, you know, I'm, I'm very aware of that window of time when the power comes back on where you still appreciate having power and you're not taking it for granted. 
but it only takes, I mean, a half hour. Even when I tell myself, I'm going to be very conscious of the fact that the power is back on and I'm going to be grateful for that. Even when I tell myself that, it's probably 20 minutes before I'm taking power for granted again. So it's just funny how that works. And it tends to, you know, when I do lose power, it tends to be the moment when I'm truly at home with it. The moment when I'm settled down, when I, you know, I, I've wrapped myself in a blanket and I, I've got the candles arranged just perfectly and I'm drawing or reading. That tends to be the moment the power comes back on. Maybe that's the gods messing with me right there. It's not the losing power. It's not the gods saying, hey, let's, let's mess with the modern human by uh, taking his power away. That's not the gods messing with you. The gods messing with you is when you've found comfort in your lack of power, your lack of electricity. And then they take, and then they give it back. It's the gods giving you power back, giving you electricity back. The moment that you're comfortable without electricity. That is more the God style, in my opinion. And it'd be it's interesting to consider that. You know, it's interesting to consider humans doing that to each other. The idea of giving someone power back. Like you think about a celebrity who loses their fame. Maybe they don't lose it entirely, but they're old hat. A celebrity becomes old hat. They don't quite have the momentum or the fan base. People are tired of them. They haven't done anything relevant in a long time. And then suddenly they're back in the public eye, which is a form of electricity for sure. Having attention, getting attention is electricity. And so a celebrity is back in the public eye. That might be the gods messing with them. That very well might be, a, I, I wouldn't know how that plays out. As somebody who has no experience with any kind of fame or, or attention of any kind, I would have no idea what that's like. But it does seem to mess with people. You know, and, and once somebody attains celebrity status, it's almost like they're thinking, I've got to keep the power on. I've got to keep the power on. And then they lose it. It's like the power goes out for them at various points, and some of them enjoy that. Some people, I, I feel, are advanced enough, or they've gotten enough of a taste of something, or they're comfortable enough to where that's totally fine. Other people, though, it's you got you to keep doing something. You got to reinvent yourself. You got to find something else that will keep that power on, that will keep, keep the electricity going, keep it running. And that does seem to be, you know, if not a, a trick of the gods, definitely one of the devil's tricks. Probably the devil's trick right there is making you think that there's some kind of electricity that you need to keep running and you have to reinvent yourself or come up with some new offering. Because it's sort of, it's, it's not unlike people making offerings to the gods when they come up with some sort of, let's say a musician recording an album. People almost act like they're making an offering to the gods 
when in reality they're making an offering to this audience, to the lowliest of people. And nothing against people, nothing against the people, but just the audience for a hey Batman. Yeah, he's having a, a tough time with this windstorm here. Oh, and there's a person outside too. See, more than the wind. How dare I assume he's barking at the wind when it was a person? Uh, but you know, people act when they create something. They act like they're making an offering to the gods, when really they're looking for the attention of their fellow man. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just it's interesting how people treat it as if they are making some sort of, you know, they act like they're burning incense at the altar. Hey, buddy, you hear that? So I snuck up on him. I snuck up on him and scared him. Uh, but yeah, it's just interesting how it's, it's, it's sort of similar to that idea of making an offering, except the person is very much trying to get something for themselves. And that's what always bugs me about knowing musicians who, and I'm guilty of this to some extent with being a creative person, doing a podcast even, um, as well as everything else I do. But... You know, if you know somebody who plays guitar and they, they just want to play guitar for you as if it's a gift, especially in person. I mean, it's one thing if it's like, yeah, somebody recording music that they care about, you know, and it's the, it's something that you have to seek out one way or another. But I always use the example of when someone, you know, buys an acoustic guitar and they, they start learning how to play songs and they, they basically hold you hostage with an acoustic guitar and it's considered rude or, or cruel to tell them you don't want to hear it, which is strange, you know, but there's something about music that it, it's forced on people. You know, you can't even go to a grocery store and shop without music. And I admit it would be strange to go down the aisles of a grocery store in utter silence, but maybe we should try it. Maybe we should try that. Have you ever thought about shopping in silence? Uh, but it is weird. How you, it's like you can't go anywhere, really, without music being a part of things. Uh, it's, just, it's just one of those things. Uh, and uh, people themselves, individually, will hold you hostage with an acoustic guitar. People are so afraid of guns. I mean, at least if someone's pointing a gun at me, we all know what the situation is. It's like, okay, you're mugging me. And I hate you, <laughs> but uh, at least at least we know what this is all about. At least we know that you are doing something horrible to me by pointing the barrel of a gun at me and asking me for what's in my pockets. Somebody's about to get sprayed, speaking of guns. Somebody's about to get sprayed with water. Um, and, uh, you know, but at least we know what the relationship is. It's like, you're a mugger, I'm a victim. But when it comes to music or, you know, your friend with the acoustic guitar, it should be the same thing. You should be able to say, you should be able to just say outright, you're mugging me. You are spiritually mugging me at this moment. And you, but you're acting like you're giving me a gift. You're acting like you're the bard. You're the, the royal bard. Like the king sent you. The king hired you to perform this gorgeous music for the world. You're making an offering to the gods, but re in reality, you're just looking for attention. 
And that's always the dilemma, just being a person, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with wanting attention or acknowledgement. But, you know, there, there is a, a certain aspect of self-awareness, you know, where, uh, I don't know, I just saw like a kid throwing something outside and I'm just like, what's going on? That's, that's the gods messing with you. A kid was throwing something near my yard. Yeah, I don't, I'm not entirely sure. People need to watch their kid. This is me being very paranoid, but it's like these two, this kid's like jumping around in my side yard and uh, throwing things. And his, and his mom and grandma are just staring at their phones, which just seems to be how it is now, right? I don't know. I don't want to make a big deal. I'm trying to minimize the number of hostile interactions I have. But it's like they're really taking their time. <laughs> this is like definitely me like peeking out the, the blinds. But it is one of those things like keep an eye on your kid if he's throwing things. I don't know what he's throwing. And he's like he was actually in my yard. Uh, but anyway. Anyway, it's just the gods messing with you, man. They sent that little kid. Should say that. Go outside the window. Go outside on the porch and say, I know that the gods sent you. I know the gods sent you to mess with me today. First he was flickering the lights. First he's, he first God's messing with me because he can't decide if he just he's gonna turn the lights off entirely. But he, he's flickering flickering them on and off, and he's he's making me feel neurotic about the clocks, you know. And then he sends this little kid. <laughs> Anyway, I, I don't remember what I was saying. Didn't probably doesn't matter. Something about fame, celebrity. Oh, people holding you hostage with acoustic guitars. Yeah, I feel like that point is already made. Uh, you know, if it's a gun, at least we know what the what's going on here. But in my opinion, somebody holding you hostage with an acoustic guitar is, you know, not as bad as being held at gunpoint. But I feel that you can kind of talk up. We can we can include it in the same conversation. To me, it's part of the same discussion, psychologically, spiritually. And you know, from the sound of this, you'd think that I was constantly being held hostage by acoustic guitars. You'd think that this just happened all the time. But I mean, that's what busking is. You know, it's not just people you know, but it's also busking. And, and, you know, of course, a lot of people love to hear music. A lot of people love live music. You know, when I used to drink, I'd be at bars, and if I didn't know a show was happening and suddenly a, a show happened, I would get out of there. I'm not the kind of person who's like, oh, live music. Oh, there's live music. Oh, man, I'm, I'm in the right place. You know, that's when I'd get out of there and go somewhere else. Um... And I love music, of course, but it's, I, as I always say, music is the thing I love the most and hate the most. And I'm indifferent to a lot of it, too. I'm ambivalent, indifferent, all things, but it seems to... It, I, the example I always use is comedy and music, where those two things, somebody trying to play music or be funny, 
seem to bring out the most extremes, the most extreme reaction, where people have such a visceral reaction to what they perceive as a bad sense of humor. Like if somebody goes to see a comedian and they're not funny, they want to kill them. They want to kill that person. You know, it's like if the fool isn't funny, the king wants him dead. They want He wants his head. There's something about somebody trying to be funny but not appealing to us. Because it's not even about whether the person is funny to somebody. Obviously, there's some subjectivity. But, uh, you know, it's there's something about that, though, where if, if somebody tries to make a joke and it isn't funny, we almost want to kill them. And it's similar with music, where if we're forced to listen to music that we don't like, or especially if it stands for something we don't like, we also want to kill them. <laughs> so, so there's something about comedy and music. And it's not just, you know, performance. It's not just on the stage. It's also if you are just hanging out with people and someone tries to be funny and you don't think that their joke is funny, you want to, you almost want to kill them right there. You, want, you almost want to strangle them. And I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone in, in thinking this. This is something that many people feel and, and do. And of course, we have enough restraint to not strangle somebody for making a dumb joke. We have enough restraint to not strangle somebody for pointing their acoustic guitar at you like a gun. But, uh, but we feel it. We definitely have an intense reaction. And that's where things get interesting with, you know, offensive content. You know, I'm not into the term edgy. The term edgy is, it sounds stupid. And I would never want to say I'm into edgy humor. Oh, I love edgy humor. And, you know, that's it's used pejoratively now. You only ever hear something referred to as edgy if it's offensive to somebody. And somebody says, oh, he's trying to be edgy. You know, it's used pejoratively. It's used negatively. Nobody says, I like edgy humor. Nobody says that about themselves. It's usually somebody saying, oh, you just like that because it's edgy. Or you're just trying to be edgy. So I, I would never refer to my sense of humor or, or senses of humor that I like as edgy. I would say I like barbed humor. It's very difficult for me to get in to truly laugh at something unless it has some kind of barb. It's got to have a you know a scorpion stinger on it. It doesn't have to be cruel. It doesn't have to be malicious, but it's got to have some kind of barb. You know, so I would say I like barbed humor. Some people they put barbed wire around their house. I like a barbed sense of humor. Barbed humor, uh, and it's not for everybody, of course, and that's. Because there is a barb. Of course, if there's a barb, you know, people are going to feel differently about it. And I guess this fits into the idea of celebrities staying relevant or popular. Because you see this with comedy in particular, where, you know, some comedy just simply doesn't age well. Often if it refers to current events. Comedy that is entirely hinged on referring to politics or something going on in the world right now that will no longer be relevant in, I mean, nowadays within a day. But, uh, you know, especially if it's not going to be relevant to younger generations, later generations, it just ages poorly. <clears throat> 
Um, but, uh, but, you know, there is a, there, there's just, you know, people have a, a serious problem with humor. I mean, I think is another thing where in the same way that people want to strangle somebody because they have a bad sense of humor, it's like, that's not funny. And people don't do that to the same extent about movies and TV. Like people will say a movie sucks or TV sucks. And of course there are serious movie fans, film film buffs. Of course there are people like that who do have a much deeper, more visceral reaction. But it's not the same. You don't it's it's not nearly as visceral as people's response to music and comedy. Uh, but uh they're just more likely to not pay attention to it. But there's almost something about bad music and bad comedy where we almost want to witness it so that we can feel that hatred. There's almost an attraction, you know, and and people don't really do the same thing with movies. Like if a movie is truly bad, if it's in that category of bad movies, people turn it into a fun thing where it's like, oh, we're going to have a, we're going to have a, a, a movie party and we're just going to watch bad movies. You know, people do that. They make an event out of it and they might mock it, but they don't really hate it. And a lot of people actually, their entire taste in movies is based around, you know, camp and, and things that are, that most people would agree are bad, you know, by whatever standard, but with comedy in particular, you know, it, it, there's that reaction to it, but then there's the whole other dimension is when something is offensive. And then of course we live in a time where censorship is much more prevalent attempts at censorship and actual censorship. And what's strange about that is what's, what's strange about it is there's, there's a whole angle about it that I had never even thought of. And this came through a discussion with somebody that I know a few months ago where it was about censorship and comedy. And, and I'm not a stand-up comedy guy. Like I've seen stand-up comedy. Like I'm aware of stand-up comedians. I'll listen to stand-up comedians on podcasts, but I'm not a big fan of rehearsed stand-up comedy, even though it can be great. Like I can, I can watch stand-up comedy and be like, this guy is really funny, but it's not necessarily funny to me, but I can recognize what goes into it. But with an increase in censorship, you know, and, and just these these constraints, this constricted free speech, and I don't like to use buzzwords like cancel culture. You know, I don't like to talk about stuff like that. I, I It gets into the description thing where I'd rather not use a buzzword like cancel culture because that replaces the discussion. The second you say something like cancel culture, the focus a lot of the focus at least ends up on the buzzword or phrase, whereas that topic should be a full-on discussion every time it comes up, really. And this discussion I had with somebody I know kind of shocked me because we were we were talking about censorship, and they said, uh, basically, they didn't think any of these things that have happened over the last years have been censorship. They were under the belief that, for example, I mean, what the example that they used was the comedian who, the very famous comedian who got accused of doing something dishonorable, and he wasn't the worst example of someone, it wasn't the worst example of sexual misconduct, but it was, in my opinion, at the very least, highly dishonorable. 
it was highly dishonorable what he did. The the extent of you know whether or not it was truly abusive or criminal is open for debate. It apparently happened a long time ago. You know, but it wasn't the most egregious example of men doing men behaving sexu- men behaving sexually. You know, uh, I don't know what I'm even saying. You know, men just crossing a line. It wasn't the worst example by any means. And this guy's career basically flatlined. This guy's very strong career flatlined as a result of this information coming to light. And I have no desire to defend him, nor to give a disclaimer about my own opinion, my own feelings on this. But I'm just saying that I have no desire to defend this guy's dishonorable behavior. But as a result, you know, his career flatlined, at least for a while. I think this guy is famous enough and popular enough to where he can maintain some kind of career once society lets him back in. And that might already be happening. I don't know. But what was really crazy is this person I know said he wasn't censored. He wasn't deplatformed. His edgy humor just isn't popular anymore. And this person cited these progressive comedians. There's one of them who I'm not familiar enough to even critique. Like I said, I don't have any dog in the comedy race. I don't have any dog in the race of stand-up comedy. But she referred to these progressive comedians, one of which is known. She's referenced a lot, this comedian. She's, I, I believe, a lesbian. And she's got, you know, short hair and glasses. And, you know, I've seen clips of her. And it's very much what you would expect from a prog- from a progressive comedian. Man, it's just chaos here today. <laughs> it's just chaos. Um, but she's very much what you would expect from a, a progressive comedian. And these people just won't leave my house alone. I'm, I'm dead serious. It's like there's chaos outside with wind and power being lost. And then the, this like mom and grandma and their kid are just like spending way too much time next to my house. Unfortunately, I don't feel threatened, but it's just one of those things where it's like, come on now. What are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> people are spending too much time next to my house. But anyway, so it just it kind of blew my mind, though, that this person I know... And I'm not trying to attack them or anything, but it blew my mind and freaked me out because their opinion was that this very famous comedian who did something dishonorable many years ago and was blatantly censored and, you know, his avenues of expression were limited and are limited, his name was tarnished. And maybe some of that is good. Maybe he deserved some of that. But still, it was just, it it clearly fit into this whole idea of cancel culture, as people call it. But this person I know was saying that it had nothing to do with censorship or, you know, constraints on free speech or cancel culture. And it was purely because his edgy humor was outdated and audiences simply wanted progressive comedians now. It's funny how people get into this sort of, uh, you know, hand of the market sort of philosophy when it suits them. Like the idea that the market decided. The market decided that edgy comedy was out and progressive comedy was in. It had nothing to do with what happened to this guy 
you know, socially. It had nothing to do with the, the social backlash of this guy's past behavior. It had everything to do with the market deciding that they want progressive comedy, not offensive, edgy comedy. And it was sort of a might is right argument. It was, it's sort of a libertarian market, you know, the way the libertarians talk about the market where it's like the market will decide. We don't need regulation because the market will decide. And it was weird to hear this from a very far left, a very radical left person I know. The fact that they felt that this was the market deciding that this guy was no longer relevant and that they instead preferred these other comedians. And what was really strange about that, beyond the fact that it was a, a might is right argument, in, a, in an industry where I don't believe that that's how things work, what was really strange is it implied that the audience is exactly the same. Is It implied that the audience for this guy who was basically excommunicated is the same exact audience choosing another comedian, as if there are only certain comedians that they can watch, as if everybody only has an hour of their lifetime to watch comedy and they have to choose one comedian. You know, it's like, oh, I only have this much time and this guy is old hat. So I need to spend that time on this new progressive comedian because I only have this much time. No, the reality is, is that most people who are actually into stand-up comedy who I know watch a lot of comedy. And they might prefer certain styles of humor, but they're not going to limit their stand-up comedy watching to one comic. And not just that, but the audience is not just one universal comedy audience. This guy who was known for his edgy humor, to use this is the term that the friend of mine used, this guy who was known for this edgy humor, his audience is not going to be the same audience who wants to go see, you know, a progressive woman make soft jokes that cater to a progressive audience. It's just not going to be the same audience. While there is a certain type of person who probably likes all types of comedy, the reality is that somebody who likes offensive comedy, controversial comedy, isn't just going to be like, oh, well, I like this now. I like this now. That's not how it works. And so it was kind of a freaky argument to me in many ways. I'd never heard it before. I'm surprised I had never heard it. But the idea that these people who are being excommunicated from public platforms, the idea that they are not the victims of some sort of censorship, but it's simply the market deciding they're no longer relevant. They're no longer popular. That is really strange to me, and I'd never come across that before. And that's a scary argument to me. Because imagine how that plays out in other avenues. You know, imagine, imagine some sort of political election being fixed. I mean, that's basically what that is. Let's say that an election is fixed and a political candidate loses and the winners, the winner of the election and his supporters say, oh, no, we just won the election. We were just more popular. I mean, it's the same thing. And that, of course, has played out countless times you just turn around and say oh no they we didn't do anything underhanded nothing underhanded happened here nothing nefarious happened here they just weren't popular 
They just weren't well-liked. You know, and I mean, it could play out in sports as well. You know, if, if somebody hired the refs to favor one team, if somebody paid off the refs, it's like saying, oh, no, no, the refs weren't paid off. Nothing happened. Nothing weird happened here. This team was just clearly better. And there are situations where that's true. You know, you shouldn't go around looking for every little conspiracy in every situation. But it seems obvious to me that there is an increase in censorship and there are constraints on free speech today. It's not simply the market deciding that somebody's no longer relevant. There are actual constraints on what you can say and do and who you are. But the idea of that being brushed off as the people deciding, that's scary. It's wrong and it's scary. And I say wrong in the sense that it's not correct. That's not an actual explanation for what has played out. So uh, something to be aware of. And celebrities like, I mean, what would happen if this, if this comedian, and I'm specifically not naming names, people can figure out who I'm talking about, but if this comedian, known for his controversial humor, and, and well, the thing about him too is he wasn't excommunicated for his comedy, which often plays on the fact that he's disgusting and he's kind of a scumbag. And I would say with that, it's like because it came out that he did have a scumbag past, a dishonorable, he had some dishonorable behavior in his past. Shouldn't being a scumbag comedian be an acceptable profession for a scumbag? Where you're laughing about the fact that this guy talks about his, you know, he, 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 he's talking about his shadow. His comedy is largely based around the things about himself that aren't entirely great, at the very least. And that's putting it nicely. So if this guy did have a dishonorable past, if he is a full-blown scumbag, shouldn't, wouldn't you rather have that guy on stage joking about that than have him be a janitor in your kid's school? Because that's the weird thing. It's like, where does this end? Where does censorship end? Where does this attack on people's character end. Do you want them to be homeless? Do you want them to be dead? I know I know that sounds dramatic, but it's a valid question because you see where people are trying to get people removed from even their just normal jobs. Like, oh, this guy works he he works as a, a customer service representative for Verizon, but he posted something on the internet and people found out who he was, and now he's out of his customer service job. Because there's this belief in all of this. There's this belief behind all of this that you don't deserve to have anything if you've said something that crosses a certain line. But with celebrities, it's sort of like, well, don't you want that person in the spotlight? And did, did you want that guy to be a choir boy? Like that guy who makes controversial jokes, many of which are based around the fact that he's a self-professed scumbag. Did you want him to be in the shadows? Did you want him to be a choir boy who was lying about the fact that he's kind of a scumbag? Not that he made jokes about the thing he was accused of. You know, I don't believe that ever made its way into his humor. 
But it's like, what, what were you looking for? Were you looking for him to be a liar? Because that's the other side of this is when somebody is a creative person of some kind and their creativity is dark or controversial and you find out that the person themselves is dark or controversial. People are like, oh my God, I can't believe for once an artist is consistent with his persona. And many of them, and the reason why that's shocking is because so many aren't. So many creative people are dishonest or they are playing a role. They are role-playing that they are something other than what they are. And that's okay. If you're going to do it, you know, hey, you're a creative person. I get it. You have a flair for drama. But when someone actually turns out to be something akin to what they're presenting themselves as, people get upset. People are like, oh my God, he actually believes in the stuff he's saying. Or he actually behaves in a way that is analogous to the things he says. And it's just like, okay. And then some of that's, you know, a chicken and the egg thing. Because, I mean, there's some people who fake it till they make it. I've known people who, because they got into music and heavy metal and this or that, they, they were just good kids. But they pretended to be a scumbag long enough that they actually became a scumbag. So there is a little bit of a chicken and the egg thing where someone will pretend to be scuzzy because they want to give that image. You know, I, I saw it with uh, a friend of mine growing up who kind of overnight became a gangster. He was an Irish kid. His, his family was from Ireland. And he overnight went from just being kind of a, a, a punk skateboarder who did get into trouble. I mean, he was always getting into trouble. But overnight, he basically, you know, he started, he got into rap and he started dressing like a gangsta. And then he started, you know, committing actual crimes. And with him, I think it might have been inevitable. I think he inevitably would have been a criminal. He had some serious issues. And he ended up going to prison and just, you know, but he stuck to the thing. He, he became pretty much a wigger and he still is, which is amazing. You know, 20 years later, he still is. He, that was, he decided that was the life for him. Uh, but the interesting thing about it is just that, you know, he kind of, when he made this transition to being a gangster, listening to rap and dressing like that, wearing, you know, that's hip hop fashion. It wasn't like he immediately became a criminal, but he basically faked it till he made it. And you see that a lot with people. You know, you see that with people where they'll they'll want to identify with something, they'll want to appear a certain way, but they're not quite that thing yet. But if they stick to it long enough, they will become that thing. So that's just an interesting thing we see with people's personas. And it's not limited to creativity. It's just any of the identities that people take on, even if they're role-playing initially, if they commit to it, they might become that thing. So there is this sort of chicken and the egg, uh, you know, argument to be had in that. But, but with artists and creative people, with celebrities, it's just interesting how, like, we don't like it when they're inauthentic. We don't like it when somebody presents a certain image and it turns out that's not who they are. But yet when they do turn out to be who they say they are, people get just as upset, if not more. It's like, I didn't want you to be a poser, but I didn't want you to be a cretin either. It's like you have to balance it somehow.
But that might is right sort of argument just bewildered me. It's like the Adam Smith hand of the market. Like you hear that from libertarians where it's like, oh, the, the market will correct itself. You see it with conservatism, you see it with libertarianism, where it's this idea that we do not need to regulate the market because the consumer will decide, the market will decide, the market is self-correcting. And to hear that idea from somebody who's a radical leftist, but to hear it filtered through this idea of basically, it's sort of a populist idea, where it's like the people will decide who's funny. The people have decided that this man, who was extremely popular up until the very moment that this news about him came to light, it was actually the people just suddenly deciding that he's not funny anymore. And instead, those people decided that this woman who offers a completely different style of humor, intended for a completely different type of person... They just in, they invested in her. They were like, I'm, I'm removing my stock from this man, and I'm investing in her, as if that's the only option available. When the reality is, when this guy was excommunicated, people are still watching his comedy from the past, for sure. But they also just looked for other comedians in that style. They're probably already a fan of comedians who are controversial. So it's just funny to me, though, the idea that, like, oh, there's only one demographic who watches comedy and the only reason that they watch the comedians they do the only reason they care about the comedians they do is you know whether or not they're funny there's no other social element to it there's no other social element that says you know oh i like this person i like this person just because they're funny and relevant you know, it's like how people watch The Daily Show only because it's funny, right? People only watch John Oliver and The Daily Show because it's the best comedy available. It has nothing to do with political bias, does it? People don't watch The Daily Show, you know, because all those Republicans who love The Daily Show, you know, they love it because it's so funny. You know, it's, it's you know, it's it's like saying that, you know. If suddenly, you know, smug, progressive humor became censored and The Daily Show was taken off the air, I wouldn't turn around and say, oh, people just decided it wasn't funny. I would not push that, uh, that line. I wouldn't use this might is right, free hand of the market sort of mentality if The Daily Show was taken off the air because of its smug progressive humor you know if that was the reason why it was taken off the air and it had been extremely popular up until that point i wouldn't try to turn around and say it was just it's popular demand popular demand decided that something else should be in the time slot that the daily show is on no it's not how it works and i mean the same plays out everywhere so just an interesting idea just an interesting idea. I mean, to me, it's as absurd as saying, oh, the power went out. Oh, the people decided that they just didn't want electricity for a couple hours. People decided they'd had enough electricity and they'd prefer candlelight. To me, that's as ridiculous as saying, 
oh, people decided they just didn't like that comedian and they like this other one instead who's completely different. And I'm not even attacking this other comedian or this other style of comedy. Just saying that, to me, that's like saying that people, they just don't want electricity. And they want candlelight. Meanwhile, the power is out. And that's sort of what happens when you censor somebody. It's like turning the electricity off. And if that's what you're doing, at least be honest about it. At least be honest and say, yeah, we're shutting this down. We are shutting this down. Don't try to say that it's just what people want. Don't try to say that it's what the audience prefers, as if there's one single audience. It's like you lose electricity in your entire neighborhood. Oh, yeah, the the entire neighborhood got together and they decided we don't really want electricity today. To me, that's just as absurd as the idea of saying that, oh, these people aren't censored. They aren't shut down. It's just everybody in the entire world, every potential audience member, every fan of theirs collectively decided that we're moving along. We're moving along. We're going to go see. We're going to go see Hannah Gatsby. Hannah Gatsby. I said it. I said her name. We don't like. We don't like. We like That's what people are saying That's what they do Baddie's wondering what I'm doing Um, It's not like people got together and made that decision But I'm glad that I had this discussion And it was a civil discussion I had with this, this friend of mine But it opened my mind Because I didn't realize that people were using that rationale this sort of winner-takes-all sort of approach to it. And I, it's hard for me to believe that people believe that in good faith. But I think everybody inherently knows censorship is bad, which is why they do have to spin it when it happens. I think people know that excommunication is bad. So... As this trend continues, and so far it doesn't seem to be stopping, but as this trend towards censorship, constraining free speech, shutting people down, as people shut other people down, I believe that they will spin it. I believe they will believe they will come up with justifications, uh, you know, distorted rationale. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for people shutting down other people's electricity and trying to say, oh, it was just uh, it was just what people decided. It was just what the gods decided. Because that's just as absurd, too. The idea of being like, oh, you know, God just decided that Louis, Louis, God's just decided that he no longer deserved to have a career. And instead, God decided that needed to have one. Needed to, she needed to take his place. It was just it was only God decided that it was only fair. To me, no matter what justification you use, it's going to be supernatural.
This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children Hey.